Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey Is. Hi Em. Isabel, I am telling you, this is one of our most stacked episodes. I don't even know what's going to happen. We have so many stories. This outline is pages and pages long. I can't I can't wait to start. I cannot wait. I I just want to tell you guys I'm going to give you a roadmap in a second of all the different things we're talking about, but we pretty much are touching on either news or episodes from every city. So I totally get it if it's not your thing. We're going to do our best to put the timestamps in the description. And if you want to fast forward from one part, of course, feel free. We just figured better to put more than less. So whew, you ready? Yeah, so much happened this week. I mean, thank God we have a Friday podcast. We've been texting each other links just saying we cannot wait to record. And I could not be happier that the time has finally arrived. All hell broke loose this week. And uh, it is now 11.08 p.m. on Thursday night. We were going to record right after Southern Charm. But once we saw that Madison and Leva were on Watch What Happens, obviously we watched that, readjusted the outline accordingly. And uh, 21 pages later, here we are. (laughs) Okay, let me give you guys a little bit of an outline as to how this is going to go. We're going to start out with some news stories. So Erica and Tom, Beverly Hills, Bronwyn, Kelly on Watch What Happens Live. Also, quickly just touching on the Dallas trailer. In terms of episodes, we're going to start out with Salt Lake City, then Potomac, then Southern Charm, and Madison and Leva on Watch What Happens all in one. Wow. How do you feel? (laughs) Overwhelmed, anxious, excited. Just like a real Bravo week. We are really lucky to be doing this, and there is nobody in the universe I would rather do this with than you. Same. I'm so excited. So let me start us off with this Erica and Tom divorce drama, because as you guys remember, on November 3rd, Erica filed for divorce. And I remember we came on this podcast, we were absolutely shocked. And in listing all of the different theories, one of the theories that we mentioned, just because it was floating around, it wasn't one that I think either of us believed, was that they weren't really getting divorced seriously. It was more so as a way to conceal assets. We hadn't heard anything else about that until this week. This People article comes out saying that there was a complaint filed in Illinois federal court on Wednesday. Basically what happened was there was this Boeing plane crash, Lion Air Flight 610 from Indonesia, and family members of the victims that were killed sued Boeing. Two different law firms represented the victims, one Edelson and the other was Tom's law firm. So they won the lawsuit and settlements needed to be paid to the families of the victims. But what this other law firm is alleging is that those settlement funds were instead used by Tom and Erica, meaning his law firm never actually paid the victims. The article then comes out and says that Tom and Erica are, quote, on the verge of financial collapse and locked in a downward spiral of mounting debts and dwindling funds. Quote, divorce is simply a sham attempt to fraudulently protect Tom and Erica's money from those that seek to collect on debts owned by Tom and his law firm. It then goes on to basically say that in this complaint that was filed, they cited Erica being public about her $40,000 a month glam bill. They also spoke about her song Expensive and kind of just using that as evidence of their lavish lifestyle that from what they're claiming cannot really be afforded. Wow. Where do we even begin with this? This is so messy. It's so messy. 
And it's really sad if true for these families. And I just, I can't believe it. I know we maybe sound gullible or like, of course, this is what happened, but I just didn't see this coming from them. So now it was shocking enough that they were getting divorced and we were really upset about that. But now for there to be actual legal reasons and all of this dirty stuff coming out, it's really shocking. It is shocking when information like this comes out. And I'm not saying it's true yet. Of course, we have to wait to see if it's proven to be true, but it really changes your opinion on someone. I mean, this is not this is not like a little bit of uh, tax fraud. This is like a really morally compromised action, if true. Yeah. Also, say what you want about Erica. I always just thought she was a really good person. She was hardworking. She came from humble beginnings. She was a single mother. Like I always really thought the best of her. And I always think Tom's reputation is so like smart lawyer shark that this is not a situation I really would have seen them ending up in. Also, when you think about it, she has established her reputation publicly, like on her own doing, as a big spender, glamorous lifestyle. Like you said, her song is called Expensive. It's expensive to be me. How much more kind of flashy about your lifestyle can you be when this is going on? My question is, the articles that have come out have kind of lumped the two of them together as though they were really in this together. She knew everything and this divorce is like a way to conceal it. Right. I am curious how, if that's really how it went down or if there was a lot of miscommunication or secrets between the two of them that we are not privy to right now. And that's honestly something that I do not know unless it really comes out in court documents if we will ever know. Because I think the thing that, everybody is talking about, aside from how horrific this is, if true, is the number one criticism of Erica is that she's not vulnerable enough on the show and that she can kind of dish it, but she can't really take it because when it comes for her, she wants to really remain very private. And so I think people are wondering how much of this is going to play out on the show. Is Erica going to be forthcoming? Is she going to deny it? Is she going to say she can't talk about it because it's wrapped up in legalities? You know, that will be, I think, an interesting and a telling angle to all of this that we don't even know yet. Right. And if the other women will try to bring it up around her. She's really private in general, but especially I think her one of her biggest like triggers has been her son, but Tom. People asking any questions about Tom, anything surrounding his career and their lifestyle and their marriage. And this is kind of the culmination of all of those things. And on top of it is pretty embarrassing for her. So I don't see a world in which she brings this up herself. No. And the thing is that I have to say is when we first heard that it happened, right? Like I said, call us gullible. We believe that it was really true love. And so when we heard that she was filing, we're like, oh my God, the marriage didn't work out. You know, we thought that it was really because something to do with them on like a love connection. And you would think that if you find out it's more of a technicality and a way to, you know, cheat the system, not that you're happy about that, but before you know the details, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, at least my my faith in their love is restored. But then you hear these details and you're like, honestly, fuck their love. This is so much worse. Like I would so much rather them just have fallen out of love or there be a cheating than this because this is like a dark thing. This is the kind of thing that makes you really change your opinion on someone if proven true. Again, we don't know. Right. Also, all the things we've heard on top of this about her dating people, her renting a separate house. Who knows? This is clearly a really, really complicated, messy 
situation right now and the fact that she's filming I will be so interested to see what kind of facade of her personal storyline she puts out versus what is really going on in the press and if they bring up the press the other women are clearly reading this too so you never know oh of course they're going to you know also just quickly regarding your point about her living in the other house which I think we pretty much got confirmation on I saw a lot of things, and again, I'm not saying it's true, but a lot of things saying, no, she only rented that house as a way to further paint the picture that they were an unhappy marriage, You know, not that it was because of this concealing of assets. So I don't know. This is wild. We will definitely see more. I just can't tell you we're going to see more from Erica, but goddamn, this was not what I had anticipated happening this week. Me either. I guess if anyone knows the right thing to do in the eyes of the law, it would be Tom. So- it's not surprising if a lot of their moves have been calculated to kind of protect them in a certain way. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to say on this is that when this whole thing happened with Joe Judice, clearly totally different situations, but I'm just saying, you know, some illegality as it comes to finances. It's not that people let's just let's just put it out there. People weren't really surprised. This is the same couple that were showing buying hundreds of thousands of dollars of furniture in cash. You never really struck Joe Joe Judice as maybe the most morally sound guy. So it kind of made sense. The reason that this to me is so surprising, aside from any character elements, is just because you would think that Tom knows how to kind of have the law in his favor the most in a way that he would never get caught. Of course, I'd like to think he would never do this in general. But I'm just saying it's a messy mistake that Joe Judice would make. It's not a messy mistake that I would think Tom Girardi would make. Yeah, I agree. But if these money rumors are true and they were really in a situation where it was dire, I guess people will pretty much do anything. This just seems really low and I don't know. I hope we get some more answers. I honestly I just hope it's not true. Exactly. I know. Me too. Me too. That wasn't the only thing that happened in Beverly Hills though. Would you like to fill us in? Yeah. Quick thing. So we didn't report on this because I think it happened between two podcasts. But last week, Beverly Hills shut down their production after one of the crew members tested positive. I think they've been taking safety precautions, temperature checks, testing. This happened with Atlanta too. But then on Wednesday, sources told TMZ that Kyle, Kathy, and Dorit have also tested positive for COVID. The source told TMZ that they're all recovering at home and none of them have serious symptoms. Kyle had posted last week, I believe, about not feeling well and thanking Teddy for bringing over a meal. And I guess just the three of them have COVID now. Beverly Hills filming began in October um, with all these safety protocols in place, but clearly now they're on a little bit of a hiatus. Hopefully they're filming themselves at home during their quarantine. I hope they're doing well, but yeah, I mean, this is just crazy. I I feel like this has to be a plot of the show too. The three of them getting COVID, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wish them well, but I, based on Southern Charm, they have to be filming themselves in quarantine. I think at this point is probably part of the agreement with production, you know? Isn't it crazy that I feel like the Beverly Hills reunion just aired on Zoom and here we are in the next season and they're going to be on Zoom still? Like time is just flying by. We've, we've just been watching Zoom for so long. It doesn't even feel weird anymore. Like when the Atlanta reunion came out on Zoom, remember how crazy we thought that was? It was so groundbreaking, so weird. Now it's kind of like the norm. Let me tell you something. When Watch What Happens Live does not only the virtual audience, but also the virtual talent, I don't remember what it was like when they were in the seat. Like to me, they were always just floating TVs above the chair. Yep. Me too. 
It's yeah. really sad. It's really sad. I wish them well. I wish the crew well. I just, you know, fuck COVID. I cannot wait till we are out of this. And hopefully, guys, hopefully soon. Hopefully we will have a vaccine, et cetera, soon. Cross your fingers. Yeah. Okay. Want to talk about Bronwyn? Let's talk about Bronwyn. Our girl Bronwyn sat down with Glad on Wednesday for a virtual interview and she came out as lesbian. She said, quote, it's been something that I think everyone's kind of known has been coming, but I'm finally comfortable enough to be able to say, I like women. I'm gay. I'm a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. I'm a lesbian. It's taken me 42 years to say that, but I'm so proud of where I am right now and to be able to be comfortable in my own skin after so long. It's just nice. Let me tell you, this was so beautiful and special and you really had to watch the interview because reading it did not give you that same effect. When you were watching it, this was a woman who was beaming. This was a woman who so clearly was saying out loud for the first time in her entire life what she always knew she was. And you don't have to like Bronwyn personally, but I think that that liberation of soul is like so special to witness. I so agree that you have to watch it because I initially just read her quotes and I was so happy for her, but to see her and how you just felt like the weight off her shoulders, she was a different person. And also, this is something we haven't really seen, watching someone through their journey on a reality show and then come to a realization like this was just like incredible. It really was. It was. And also, another revelation that came out of all of this is that she has a girlfriend. She's dating this woman, Chris. And Glad asked her, basically, you know, how do you navigate your marriage and the fact that you now have this new relationship with a woman? And she said, quote, honestly, we are in uncharted territory. I don't have a role model for this. I don't have anyone to go to for answers. So right now we're just doing our own way. You know, Sean and I are still married. I plan on staying married. We're raising the kids together. He's my best friend. He knows the girl I'm dating. Her name is Chris. I mean, we go to parties together. She came over the other night, hung out with the family, had dinner with us. I mean, it's only as weird as you make it. By the way, just in case anybody is curious, her girlfriend's handle is at KS Mischievous. Obviously, we looked it up, and especially, I like didn't know if we should say that, and then I didn't know if it was kind of like a violation, but once I saw that she mentioned her name in the interview, I thought that it was fair game. Um, I'm just so overwhelmingly happy for her. Like, I have a lot to say about how she was in the episode, and I think that things kind of relate to that, but just my general sentiment is that I am so unbelievably thrilled for this woman. Me too. And also her and Sean have had, we've seen it, like the most modern relationship I think I've ever experienced. They've been married for 20 years. They started dating when she was 18 and they have seven kids together. They actually went on a break about 12 years ago before they had their twins and their two youngest daughters. And then they got back together. They had four more kids. And she said on an OC after show once, I cheated on Sean. We separated. I took the kids. He was with someone else too. When we were separated, we were just in two different homes. I went to Hawaii. I took the kids. I told Sean I was done. I want. I didn't want to be a single mom anymore. He traveled 25 days a month. After a few months, he flew out to Hawaii and got down on one knee and reproposed to me. He had quit his job. He was just the president of a very successful company. He sold his shares and he walked away and he became a stay-at-home dad for like eight years. He said, I would rather choose you guys than my work. So they have never been, I mean, even on the show, we've seen it play out, her talking about how they have threesomes. They really are just, they've kind of been modern. Like that's just the only way I can say it. And they make their own rules. And Sean posted on Twitter and on Instagram, a photo of them and wrote, 
For over 25 years, I have loved and supported you. I'm not about to stop. I love you. I'm so proud of you. And I support you always. Yeah. I mean, what more could you want from your husband when you are coming out with this? I mean, like this to me, I'm not saying that everybody could handle it this way, but I really do think it is kind of like the poster child for the ultimate, the ultimate dream of how it could be handled. I mean, talk about mutual respect. Yeah. It's really a partnership. That's what it comes down to. They are partners in family. They love each other. They really are best friends. And I guess they're able to put like the traditional standards behind them and they really just have love for each other and want them to flourish in their own ways. There's a soul connection there that doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. And I would imagine, I mean, they have children together. They, at the very core of it, she loves him because he's the father of her children, you know? Right. Also, in that scene when her son Jacob is getting his makeup done and she's saying, you know, I'm just so in awe of you and I wish I could have been as comfortable with myself at your age as you are. And that in the episode was before she came out. I mean, she just came out this week. So having the knowledge that she had come out while watching that episode really gave me a very good insight as to what was going on in her mind. And this must have just been like an emotional roller coaster of a year for her. And I just, I don't know. It's, 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 um, I'm going to call her the anti Erica Jane in terms of talk about vulnerability. Oh, she's like, she's the poster child for vulnerability. And I really commend her for that. And I don't think it's easy. I think the show really brings out a lot and shows really hard conversations and things you may not want blasted for the world to see. And she totally goes there. And I think she's like a role model for a lot of people. And she starts a lot of really important conversations. I agree. I also, I want to make this point and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it effectively and we can cut it out if I don't, but I just feel like a responsibility to. Clearly, I am not gay. Neither is Isabel. However, Something that was really upsetting that I saw a lot on social media this week was that when she came out, a lot of people had a very hard time accepting her as lesbian and basically said to her, you are not lesbian, you're bisexual. If anything, why do you have to, why do you have to be so extreme with it? These were the words of a lot of the trolls. And clearly, of course, like when somebody says what they are, you just believe them, obviously, but it goes deeper than that because a trend that I think we see a lot is there's this real kind of um, internal bias that I think often arises when talking about gay men versus gay women. And what I mean by that is I definitely think there's a lot of underlying homophobia in our society, unfortunately, that when a man comes out and says that his sexuality is fluid and that maybe he's bisexual or maybe he's bi-curious, automatically, a lot of society does not allow him that freedom. And a lot of times, I think that society automatically says, no, you're just gay because a man that is sleeping with another man is automatically gay. To clarify, clearly that is not what we think, but you see that a lot. It's a constant stigmatization of men who are curious. Yet the flip side of that is with women, because they're given more, quote, grace in terms of their ability to experiment and be fluid, we often see when they come out as saying they're lesbian, it's met with almost this lack of validation of like, no, you're not, you're just bisexual. And I just want to acknowledge, I know I can't relate personally, but it's really unfair and I would imagine really triggering. And I know personally in my life, friends of mine that have come out as gay and felt really frustrated by, you know, 
the public not allowing them to be gay and always calling them by female friends. So I just want to say, whatever you are, celebrate it. Obviously, this you have one life to live. Fucking do it to the fullest. But if Bronwyn says she's a lesbian, she's a lesbian. And it's not on anyone else to question that or call that out. So I don't know if I made that point well, but I do think it's an important one to make. I think you made it beautifully. I think we're going to keep this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was an editor's note. (laughs) So there are obviously so many different reasons that a person would want to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or maybe you just want to pick up a new skill or hobby. Or maybe you're like me and at one point you were almost fluent in Spanish and then you kind of lost it and are trying to get it back. Whatever the reason, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really immerses you in the language that you want to learn, which again, for me was Spanish. And I was kind of relearning, I guess I could say, because I really do feel that when I was abroad there, I had it so much better. And my dad would always tell me, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I kind of lost it. So first of all, number one about Rosetta Stone, they have been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Second of all, it's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. It's no English translation. So you're really learning to speak, listen, and think in that language, which for me, that's when I always could feel it clicking when I noticed myself really thinking in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you're picking up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it really is designed for long-term retention. Also speech recognition. So they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, kind of like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient. There are desktop and app options with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's a lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's a 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettazone.com slash comments today. This is honestly kind of a natural transition into Kelly on Watch What Happens Live because some of the things that she brought up had to do with Bronwyn, but do you want to introduce this one? Oh my God. I don't even know where to begin with this. I know. So Kelly Dodd. Kelly, Kelly Dodd. She's hasn't been on Watch What Happens Live yet this season, which for a housewife is really unusual. They usually cycle through all of the cast members at least once throughout the season. And OC, we're really, really deep in, and Kelly Dodd has not been invited on Watch What Happens Live yet for obvious reasons. She's been pretty much slammed on social media. She's been disrespectful to so many people, so many communities, denying COVID, spreading really hor- horrible information. And finally, last week, Shannon Bedore was on, invited on Watch What Happens Live for the second time. So they're cycling now again through people before even having Kelly on for the first time. Clearly, elephant in the room, they don't want to have Kelly Dodd on. They don't want to give her a platform. And they know if they have her on, they're really, they can't just start playing games with her. There's a lot to address. So someone wrote on Kelly Dodd's picture, I think last week or two weeks ago, the only real housewife that isn't a sheep like the rest of the Bravo peeps. Finally, love it. And Kelly responded, that's why I haven't been on Watch What Happens Live, but Shannon Bedore will be on twice next week. So finally, Kelly is on with Whitney from Salt Lake City, who, poor Whitney, she just had to sit there for like the first 15 minutes in silence and 
She's it's like her first time on Watch What Happens Live, and this is what she has to deal with. Yeah, Whitney did not know what she was signing up for. But uh, basically, Andy Cohen comes on and really just takes a note from like a Diane Sawyer. This was full blown a grilling interview. I mean, this was journalism like I have never seen from Andy Cohen in terms of he knew he had one job. And before he even attempted to make any sort of fun, he really had to get down to it. And they only have 30 minutes on this show. So to get through all the shit that Kelly Dodd has said in such a short amount of time and really address it and give her somewhat of an opportunity to explain herself and or apologize was not an easy task. Right. And especially, we know for a fact, Andy's beliefs and her beliefs specifically, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. So there was already tension. It wasn't like Andy was doing this because he felt the obligation. It was like you could tell he was personally invested and there was emotion behind it, which I can't blame him for for one second. So it made it even more intense as a viewer, I would say. Absolutely. So first off, they start out with COVID. And basically, Kelly had made a comment saying that it's God's way of thinning the herd. And he, of course, asked her if she regretted it. She basically said, of course, I regret it. I was just scared. I didn't know. And he says, you know, do you especially regret it now that your mom was in the ICU with COVID? And she says yes, but she then goes on to say that she didn't even know that her mom was in the ICU. She found out when her brother posted it on social media. So apparently she has been estranged from her brother and her mother for a little while now. We don't really know any more details of that, but that was a revelation that had not come out previously to the Watch What Happens, I think. Yeah. Um, but of course, I mean, it's mortifying and, it, and it's not, you see the way that these people spoke about it and now what's happening. I, she had every single reason to be embarrassed and she had nothing else to say other than I apologize. I was wrong. I mean, if she doubled down, I think that would have been the end of her. There's a lot of us that think it should be the end of her in general, but that's not a conversation I'm going to get into right now. No, definitely not. She also spoke about the drunk wives matter hat and she kind of just said, you know, my girlfriend gave it to me. I didn't buy it. She said, of course, you know, I regret that whole thing. I believe in equality. I believe in Black Lives Matter. In hindsight, I should have never done it. This was the just perfect example. You know, her back was against the wall. She had nothing to say other than she apologized. But it's it's just really hard when this same person two weeks previously, a week previously, is saying the complete opposite things on social media. So I get it from her perspective. This is what she had to kind of do to save her job. But one, it's just hard to see any sort of authenticity and two it's not my apology to accept or not i'm not black i don't you know that's that's not, that's not our place as two white girls to say whether or not she's forgiven from what i saw on social media she's absolutely not and i completely understand why um but this was a woman with her back against the wall she was walking into hot water and she was trying to just basically stay alive here but to me it was it was a failed attempt if you want my honest opinion something interesting too was I think, did Andy bring this up or was it on Twitter? People were saying like, nobody really has shit to say about her on the show. Like nobody is talking about how awful things that she says on the show or how she behaves on the show. It is pretty much exclusively what she puts out on social media. Like where's the disconnect and has a housewife ever been this volatile on social media, but pretty like normal quote quote on the show you know that's like the big difference and i think that's the big disconnect for people is this is showing your true colors oh andy made that point completely he also basically said to her you know do you think you need to think before you post on social because every single issue you've gotten yourself into has been on social and she just 
whether or not you like her, you can admit that she doesn't really think before she said it. She admits it herself. She says the first thing that comes to her mind. And in today's day and age, that just doesn't fly. So I can't tell anybody whether or not to like Kelly Dodd. If you like her, I can't tell you not to, nor am I going to. I can tell you, Isabel and I personally strongly dislike her. We strongly condemn her actions for the many communities that she has offended and also the lax nature with which she treated COVID when it's a really serious thing and we every day are terrified of our parents dying from it. So for her to be on television kind of saying it's the same thing as the flu, I guess she can claim ignorance. Personally, it's not an excuse to me. Um, It just doesn't sit right with us. So if you want our personal thoughts, those are it, but I'm not telling anyone else how to think. I get it. If you like her, I can't change your mind and I'm not going to try to. Exactly. Preach it, girl. You want to talk about what she said about Bronwyn? Yeah, I mean, after her apology tour, she really she really dug herself right back into the hole. It's about it was like to me I was just like, can't you take a breath? Like if you want this to be even a little bit convincing, your apology, you're then going to come on and completely discount and uh and claim falsity to somebody's alcoholism that they just came out about the next i literally was expecting her to be like and by the way she's not gay either like that's literally how i expected this to go down because i was when she said that when andy asked her the question and she basically said i don't even think that she's an alcoholic to start with she's like i don't think she had seven kids so she could not drink i know her well enough that this was a pre-plotted thing that she wanted to do to get her own show her talent agent told her to stop drinking it's all contrived i don't believe she's a real alcoholic you'll see it later on the end of the show that happens it's really good if kelly has a publicist I think that woman or man's soul must have left their body in that moment because I just don't get it. First of all, like her claims pretty much are invalid. Like you can have an opinion, but also, as we said before, someone's struggles are their struggles to define. Nobody knows better than her. And if she says she's an alcoholic and that is her issue, she's working on recovering from it. Who are you to decide? And then to go on national TV. And to say that you think it is a plot to get her own TV show when she has seven kids at home and she's clearly struggling with something is just a a level of disgusting that I cannot relate to. Wonderfully said. It's a level of disgusting that I simply cannot relate to. By the way, that's not to say that Bronwyn may not want her own show. I I could totally see that. I think she carries OC in a lot of ways. But to claim that her, you know, alcohol addiction that she has so clearly been battling. It's not like she's been doing this behind closed doors, which by the way, if she was, it wouldn't make it any less valid. This was like, I mean, you are literally witnessing this woman suffer through withdrawal in the most clear way ever. You're witnessing Emily and Gina go with her to AA. I just don't know what goes through Kelly's head and I don't know how she can sleep at night with some of the things that she says, but that's not my battle to fight. Like, you know what I mean? I I don't, why should she take up room in our head? Clearly we disagree with her actions. We tell you guys that all the time, but if you're somebody who loves her, I'm not going to fight with you because it's not a battle that I'm going to win. I just like feel protective over Bronwyn because like we said, she's really vulnerable. You're right. She is carrying OC in a lot of ways. By the way, I think she could have gotten her own show regardless. She's such an interesting life. She's seven kids. She's in this really unconventional relationship. Her mom is interesting. Like, I also think Kelly's projections about someone's life goal to be to have their own show reflect way more on her than they do on Bronwyn. You know, like to me, that just says more about Kelly that someone would be that shallow or low to make up something this 
terrible about themselves and this triggering and this harmful to their family just to get their own show. Like that says to me way more about Kelly and her perception of life than it does about Bronwyn. Yes. And also you can't, the way that I felt about when Kelly said that, it's not just like some kind of mindless claim that doesn't have any deeper consequences. Because basically by saying that, you are effectively saying she is a bad mother because she's pulling a Larsa Pippen, choosing cloud chasing over her children. That's, that is effectively what Kelly is saying. So it was such a layered comment. It wasn't like one little jab. It went so deep. It was, I, you don't even have to get into all the reasons. I mean, I think a lot of you listening can can relate, but it's just so much. It's so exhausting. I I don't really I I have nothing else to add. I just want to stop talking about her if that's okay. Yeah, let's move on. Let's take a break. I feel like that was a lot. Quickly, when we come back, we'll do the Dallas trailer and then we will get right into Salt Lake City because Isabel, this is what I have been waiting for. Me too. Okay, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, there are two things you probably know about me. The first is that I am a diehard OG Skims fan. Like there have literally been times where we've had to pause a recording because a certain product dropped that I needed to buy. And second of all, you know, historically, I kind of just never wear a bra. So what we're talking about here is kind of merging those two things because listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm never going to be a daily bra wear. It's just not in the cars for me. Never has been, never will be. However, there's recently been more events and I've kind of had a lot of weddings and just there are sometimes you got to wear a bra. And when I tell you, Skims is changing the game for me because that same comfort that I talk about with the underwear or the loungewear, they did that with the bras. And recently in the past month, I've worn the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra and the no-show balconette bra. I had to wear that one to a wedding under a dress. And like, it was the first time in my life where number one, I wasn't miserable. And second of all, I didn't come home and just like immediately want to take it off, which I'm telling you is a foreign concept for me. They're just so comfortable. It's like, I really felt like I was wearing nothing. I'm I'm such a fan of everything that they make. So I guess it makes total sense that I love the bras, but like, I'm telling you, you will have the same experience. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. Definitely do that. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the dropdown menu that follows. Okay, really quickly, I just wanted to touch on the Real Housewives of Dallas season five trailer, which dropped over this week. I love Dallas personally. I know that's not a popular opinion. I think people are kind of, I don't know, indifferent about it. But the new season premieres on January 5th. The trailer dropped. It looks honestly hilarious. Dallas is just a funny city. It's a little bit different than everyone else. I can't really explain why. The returning housewives are Brandy, Stephanie, Deandra, Cameron, and Carrie. And there's a new housewife, Dr. Tiffany Moon. She's an anesthesiologist. She's the franchise's first Asian American cast member. Um, apparently, Deandra introduces her to the group. She has five year old twin girls. She's really fun to follow on social media. I followed her, I think, when they announced her. And like, I just love getting to know them that way. I think it's like the best thing to do before the season starts. And there's also a new friend of whose name is Jennifer David Long. She's not really in the trailer, but I saw a bunch of the girls were at dinner with her the other night, and she also looks, I'm sure she'll bring some drama. So that's all I have to say about that. January 5th, I'm really excited to get back to Dallas. It's just one thing after another. Atlanta never stops. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it really never stops. That's the best thing about being a Bravo fan. It's a constant revolving door. 
it's the best thing ever, especially during quarantine. It really like gives me a marker of time. I know. It really I think my lucky stars, as my mom would say, every single day that we have this, because what did we do before? How did we fit this into a 20 minute segment on the regular episode that feels criminal? I have genuinely no idea. I know. Okay. Let's get into Salt Lake City because this is quickly becoming my favorite franchise. Fucking sue me. I don't know what to tell you guys. I love it. Danny Pellegrino tweeted something along the lines of, we're only on episode four of season one of Salt Lake City and it already feels like a well-oiled housewife's machine. And I could not agree more. I feel like we've been watching these women for years. It's like, it's so perfect, fits in. It's just really good. I don't know what else to say. It's really, really good. And I'm honestly upset when the episodes end. Oh, beyond so. You want to start out? I know last week we had discussed the first four minutes because Bravo kind of dropped it on bravotv.com. As always, we're not going to recap, but let's talk about the major moments. And there was a lot of different um, storylines happening in one episode, actually. A lot. I want to start off. I'm going to switch gears for a second. Heather Gay is becoming an iconic housewife before our eyes. And I want to start on this light, fluffy note before we get into all the drama because she, amongst a group where we are really, really caught conscious of some of the fake or facade or, you know, contrived things because we like we've been saying, it's a first season. They're really getting their groove. Maybe they're a little bit too aware of the cameras and too aware of what it takes to be a housewife. Among all of that noise, Heather's off-the-cuff moments that they catch are so fucking funny, and I just want to read my four favorite quotes from this because Twitter was literally blowing up. Number one, when her and Whitney are sitting at the party and she's looking over at Meredith and Jen and says, if I can make eye contact with her, I'll go over. If I can't, I'm going to wait for my chicken lollipop drumsticks. (laughs) Then she gets up to go over and says, don't clear the burger. Guard the burger and the lollipop drumsticks. (laughs) (laughs) Then she's on the phone with Jen's husband, Sharif, who's coming to pick her up. And she says, you're going to see me. I look like a flapper with cankles. (laughs) And lastly, we'll get into this, but when Jen kind of spills the beans that Meredith and Seth are separated but only dating each other, she's like around her kitchen. She just turns and goes, well, that's modern. (laughs) I don't do them any justice. You Obviously, if you're here, you watch the episode. But I just thought that that deserved a moment of a round of applause on our end. Round of applause, truly. She's really making her way up very quickly. It's like her and Meredith, to me, are my top two, but for very different reasons. They bring completely different things to the table. Me too. I just like, Meredith is glamour, glamour, glamour. I'm obsessed with Meredith. I'm obsessed with Meredith. Okay, let's go back to Jen's initial kind of freak out, which was at Meredith. Remember, Meredith canceled the sleepover to hang out with her daughter, and Jen thought it was deeper because she had also been hanging out with Mary, going to Mary's church, and you really are watching a woman unravel. Clearly, this had quite literally nothing to do with Meredith and so much more to do with what's going on in Jen's personal life. I said that last week, and I've never felt more validated in a take than watching this episode because literally every single thing we said about how much it was an internal issue for Jen just came out like clear as day, did it not? It was like they took the words right out of your mouth. Yeah. Truly. It really was. It was honestly crazy. Meredith basically removes herself from the conversation. She's like, I am not doing this here. And she says, you know, this woman is unhinged. What is she What is she doing? What is her issue? And Whitney says, Jen has a history of freaking the fuck out, which as we are learning, 
she's not the type of person you want to be on her bad side. It comes out very quickly. You know, also, we're only on episode four, and so far we've seen three freakouts, clearly the first one at Mary. So I'm just going to say it's it's seeming to be a pattern, no? Yeah, absolutely. And for Whitney to say that in her confessional made me feel like it really is part of her personality and it's not something that she's kind of hamming up for the cameras. Well, also because I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this. I kind of feel like Whitney is the most unfazed out of all of them of everything because Whitney really went through it in terms of judgment that she received from her family and from other people. So I know these are two totally different issues, but what I mean by that is Whitney kind of adopted this like fuck it attitude for a while. She may still have it. And so I think that this type of stuff doesn't phase her as much because she's had those moments of like, I do not care what anybody else thinks. But even for her to be phased by Jen, to me, that's telling. It's not like Lisa being phased. No, agreed. And also for Jen to freak out in this way at Meredith, who is someone I think she really loves and respects their friendship and like in a weird way almost looks up to and really looks for approval and attention from. So to really explode in this way was like, you could tell she just like blacked out. She wasn't even in her own body. Because at the end of the day, what Meredith also was confused about is, are we really fighting this hard over this issue of, I mean, A, the root of it, which is Mary saying the hospital smells thing, and B, Meredith going to the church. Like that is really what's going on. And Jen now thinks I'm choosing Mary over you. This is not the issue. And the last I saw, you guys were hugging and making up and I thought all was okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, Meredith had nothing to do with this and she knew it and she handled it elegantly like a total class act. I mean, I am very much a fan of Meredith. Also, I want to get into, obviously, Heather and Jen, but in order to do so, I think we quickly need to talk about Meredith and Lisa at the art gallery. Yes. How did you feel about the scene? I thought it was really nice to see them alone. I get why they're friends. I think they have a really cute friendship. When Meredith tells Lisa that her and Seth are separated and Lisa started crying, I felt that. Like When you're really close with someone, especially a couple or a woman that feels like your sister, when something happens to them you feel it for yourself. And that is not something you can fake. And to me, that was all of the proof and the just like experience that I needed to really like validate their friendship and say, okay, these are like real friends. These are women who love each other and enough that their family issues like affect one another. I don't know. I just like, I liked it and I got it. And I think it really humanized Lisa. She's kind of just been floating around and fighting with people. And this made me like, like her. Oh, it was the best thing that ever happened to Lisa. You know, like this scene, obviously not their separation, just because exactly what you said, it did humanize her. And you're so right. Like I was thinking how I would react if that was you, for example, because it's not that you just care about the person. Also, their families are so intertwined. And it was a kind moment. And, you know, just to even emphasize that she wasn't faking it, when she was alone in her confessional, when Meredith wasn't even there, she was also getting very emotional. So, I think she's really hoping for a rekindling. And based on Meredith's social media, that's seemingly the direction that they're going. I don't know. They're so hot. I love when they post together. Isabel like is turned on by them. I I think they're the hottest couple. And I love that she tags him like five separate tags. Don't even think about it. I know. <laughs> I want to go into Heather and Jen at Sushi. Obviously, there's so much to talk about here in terms of Jen's character development. But the first point that I want to mention is... This scene coming right after 
Meredith telling Lisa that she's getting separated and watching Lisa's reaction as we just described, the contrast between that and then Jen going over to Heather's and very casually throwing out that Meredith is getting separated in a way with like zero regard for her confidentiality or friendship, it was all the proof that I needed that Meredith and Jen's friendship is just very different than Meredith and Lisa's. Not even just throwing it out casually, throwing it out with the intention of I'm if she's going to backstab me, I'm going to backstab her and using it as ammunition to like get back at her. Like that was a thought out decision and that was something that she used purposefully. Yes, and what was so off as a viewer is like we are talking about apples and oranges here. I'm sorry that you don't like Mary. I agree. What she said about your aunt was really off limits. However, that does not then justify you saying confidential information about your friend's marriage. Like, don't pretend that her, Meredith going to Mary's church is the same thing as you telling people that she's getting separated. I get it that Meredith didn't specifically say it's confidential, but she doesn't want this going around. I know. That's the problem is the actual basis of this, whether you hate someone to compare it to Potomac. What happened with Candace and Monique is actually something that you have the reason to be this angry as Jen is. And what Jen is angry about feels like such a minuscule, silly, like miscommunication that Mary has already apologized for, keep in mind, that we keep going back to. Yeah, this is more on the page of Shannon saying that Bronwyn was lying about saying Gina's house was sad. I just want to read also, Jen tweeted this last night, and I think it's so bizarre that we haven't brought this up that she hasn't brought this up yet because she wrote to clarify i never went to the hospital that day i saw mary so when so when she said you smell like hospital she was just being mean she wasn't smelling hospital because i wasn't at the hospital she thought i was however my plans changed and i did not go that day so now the story has progressed to a level that is just i can't even believe we have to speak about out loud yeah we, we have to move on don't you think yeah, we have to. I just I needed you guys to know that because we've been harping on the ho- hospital spells and there's now more to the story. <laughs> Some hospital spells. I think we said this before, but if an alien came down and started listening to this podcast with zero prior Bravo knowledge, they would have been like, what the literal fuck are these bitches talking about? Anyway, when Jen is there with Heather, a lot of really telling things come out that we have been speaking about for, I think, the entirety of, of this franchise so far about really Jen's relationship with everything going on in her life. So as we know, it's the one-year anniversary of her father's passing. I know from experience from my mom, it is miserable and I get it. However, she's using that as kind of a way to lash out and she's feeling already alone based on how much Sharif is away. And that in conjunction with not having her dad is like an unfillable hole. And When she says that Sharif travels so much to the point where he couldn't attend her father's funeral because he had work and how she had to kind of in the moment just boss up and say that it was fine, but how he'll never know how deeply that affected her. It didn't justify her actions. Like I'm not, let's not get into Dorinda territory here, but it, it definitely explained things a lot more clearly. Like that is a lot of pain to carry around. Oh, totally. That was like a big a big insight into what's going on and really going on in her life and what ha- what happens behind closed doors. Another thing is she's watching people who are in committed relationships or who spend a lot of time with their family or have a certain support system that I think she really is lacking. And that's why she's so sensitive to something like Meredith maybe swaying another direction or having other friends. 
And that's also, like we've said before, why she surrounds herself with people all the time that are kind of have to be there. Well, she has, I mean, at least, you know, a little bit of abandonment issues, clearly. And the other thing is when Heather said to her, you know, how are you? And Jen responds, how do my lips look? That to me was also another example of like, she's not ready yet to get to the root of her like issues with a non-confessional. Like she's not prepared to have that conversation with another human being because she can kind of say it in her confessionals, but when it comes to actually having that conversation with the other women, I don't think she's prepared for that level of vulnerability. I know we get into it a little bit with the Met Gala dinner, but not even because she immediately comes back with like fire, you know? Yeah. I also think it has a lot to do with her marriage and that's just territory she's not really down to go into. I feel like she's probably more open about losing her parents and more open about that and about her husband being away. But when it really gets down to the nitty gritty of him being there and supporting her and maybe what he should have done when when her father's funeral happened or how he should be making more sacrifices, maybe. I don't think she wants to go there. I don't think that their marriage is necessarily on the rocks. I think she kind of just sums it up as that's what a good football wife does. Exactly. It's it's uh it's different, but it gave me for a second Karen Ray vibes when she's like, I had to soldier up. It's different, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just what I had to do. That's what a wife does. I'm a football wife and I signed up for this and she I don't know if it's really how she feels or if it's just a really easy excuse for his actions, but that really seems like her way to kind of get out of anything that reflects poorly on him. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. She doesn't She's she's protective, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about the Met Gala dinner? The Met Gala lunch dinner, whatever it was, was perhaps the weirdest event we've seen in a Housewives franchise ever. <laughs> no. When I saw the betta fish on the table right next to the Louis Vuitton boxes, I was like, what is going on? It was it was Mary's personality in a party, just so like all over the place. And some elements were cool, some elements were just a little off. I mean, she had toy soldiers as valet. Then she had everyone dress up for the Met Gala theme. But what is a Met Gala theme? Met Gala is just a place and an event. The theme of the Met Gala is different every year. You go inside, and she has a huge Italian restaurant rented out for only the six women. And at each of their places, they have a journal and a set of Louis Vuitton AirPods. And then she's telling them about the grapes and how 500 people died. I didn't, I felt like I was tripping. First of all, I was like sure that I took shrooms and just forgot. Like (laughs) 100% sure. Yeah. I was like, did I microdose? But more than that, I mean, that's the thing with Mary. It's like, she's kind of fun entertainment. Were you really intrigued? We didn't really touch on this scene because not that much happened. But when Lisa went over to Mary's house and the two of them, their friendship to me was like intriguing and how much Lisa really likes her. And I, I think think she's just cool. I don't know how much of that, how much of their friendship is genuine or if they're friends because of the show. But I just like watching them together and just seeing Mary one on one with one of the women was a wild experience. Wild, wasn't it? Yeah. And Mary said to her that she thinks Jen just wants to be the big dog and that this is more of a competition thing and not really about the hospital smells. It's like a greater issue. 
What did you think when they were going around kind of saying their different insecurities? I mean, I thought Lisa's was hilarious which, when she was like, I work too hard. That's like when during a job interview when someone asks, what are your weaknesses? And mine's like, I'm just like too much of a perfectionist. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just too organized. If someone like pulls out that bullshit. Like, I just like work too hard. I'm too hard on myself. Like, that is exactly what she said. And listen, all the power to you, girl. I love a girl boss. But everyone, you just felt the collective eye roll in that moment. I mean, even Meredith had a hard time stomaching that one. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And Jen, this is kind of the part of the episode where she gets the most vulnerable. And she kind of talks about her upbringing and basically how her dad had to make a lot of sacrifices for their family. And she basically says, you know, because of the loyalty that her dad taught her, she now really mimics that in her own life. And she kind of used that as a way to apologize to Meredith. But she said, you know, to a normal person, a little thing that may be nothing to me really carries a lot of weight because when I'm with you, I'm like your ride or die. Like, yeah, I may go crazy, but I am that bitch. And that's when she says, so Meredith, I'm sorry, you know, like basically apologize for, apologizing for overreacting, but also kind of explaining where it came from because to her loyalty means something that she believes is different than what it means to the rest of them. I think she just feels like it carries a lot of weight for her. Like if she chooses to be all in with you, she is 100% in. And on the outside, like Meredith hanging out with Mary may not have been the biggest deal for us, but to her, it really, really meant a lot. It was a big deal. Can I make a comment though that I was yeah. thinking about? Of course. Like to me, you know, when I look at Jen and Meredith's friendship, I feel like Jen takes their friendship not more seriously than Meredith does, not in a bad way than Meredith, but like maybe Meredith is Jen's best friend, whereas Jen isn't Meredith's. However, it's kind of weird in retrospect that Meredith told Jen about the separation before she told Lisa. I know. And I was almost waiting for when when Meredith tells Lisa in the gallery and she says uh, the only other person that knows is Jen, I thought Lisa was going to be offended by that. And I was ready for the worst thing you can do when someone tells you something is, well, who else knows? Because that's just a shitty friend. And that's like, you care more about if you're the first to know, if you're the last to know, and who else you can gossip about it with. And she didn't do that. So that was also like, I was really proud of her. I mean, who knows behind closed doors? But for her, for that not to be her immediate reaction to be offended by that, I think was really kind of great. But it was weird. I don't know how, like what that means or indicates kind of in terms of their levels of closeness. Well, two things. First, when she did ask, you know, who else knows, she was doing it just so that she knew whether or not she could say something. But I think what Meredith basically explained was that, you know, the reason she hold it off, held off on telling Lisa was because their families are so intertwined and she didn't want to kind of upset her, which is fair and I believe her entirely. But it's just interesting, I guess, um, maybe from Lisa's perspective, but you're right. Like for her not to look into that deeper made me gain a little bit of respect because there is absolutely nothing worse than a friend who only cares that they were the first to know. I also kind of feel like if anything ends up happening between Jen and Lisa or if there's some kind of friendship struggle over Meredith, that will come up of like, well, she told me way before she told you. That's just like my total hypothesizing seeing into the future. But I do think that that's not something we should forget. First of all, okay, Raven. Second of all, <laughs> I literally just had a fucking vision. Raven Simone. I know they're going to fight about this. Yeah, you literally did. Second of all, Jen lost all of her credibility when she casually told Heather, it's over for you. Oh, yeah. Imagine being Meredith and seeing that. 
she was tweeting like that is so hurtful and that really shows your true colors last time i fucking open up to you like what is that it's terrible i agree and then you know the dinner this is kind of how the episode ends this is when jen loses it on mary which she just doesn't like her i wish she would just come out and basically say i just can't stand you and it would have been a little bit of a of a kind of cleaner cut because this was just a very slow and kind of brutal dragging out of their issues with each other. Well, Mary rightly so was like, okay, you're going to apologize to Meredith. Where's my apology? You were running around the party screaming that, you know, you're going to be with Mary who fucks her grandpa, like saying these things. And what I kept thinking was, how can Jen say Mary is, quote, a grandfather fucker? You know, you're going to go with Mary who fucks her grandpa. But as soon as as soon as soon Mary says that she smells like hospital, which is something just alluding to her family, she is allowed to freak out and cut her off. How hypocritical is that? She is so upset about that offhanded comment because it just relates to her family who did go through something really traumatic and terrible. And of course, I feel bad. No one would ever want to joke about her aunt having to get her legs amputated. However, if you're going to say that family is completely off limits and then turn around, no matter what the the situation is, how ridiculous it may seem, you're going to go screaming drunk at a party about someone else's family situation. Your argument is pretty much invalid. Exactly. I'm telling you, it's the Larsa Pippen equivalent. It's not that you did the one thing. It's that you did the both things together because now your argument is just flawed. I love how often we bring up Larsa Pippen. Nobody else brings up Larsa more than us. Because she's such a perfect analogy for so many situations. Anytime somebody's behaving in a way that is just so distasteful, it's like, oh, she took that page out of Larsa's book. And I would say she's a perfect housewife, and she was a fucking housewife. We always forget that. Larsa Pippen was a real housewife. Yes, she was, and I'll never forget it. And a good one at that. We need it back. I mean, she would never be on it again, but... Anything else you want to mention for Salt Lake? Or should we take a break before Potomac? No, let's let's get in Potomac. <laughs> it is now twelve twenty four a.m. I'm having the time of my life. By the way, I'm like, Me too. I'm like I'm having the best time. I'm zero percent tired. Okay, quick break, and we will see you guys with Potomac. I love this so much. I love you guys so much. Oh my god. I want you to intro this Potomac episode. I just want to quickly say before we even start, my overwhelming takeaway from this episode. This was not Karen's best. I know we'll get into it. I just have to get it out. Like, really, truly not Karen's best. We love Karen. We stand Karen. This was, I would say, the crumbling of her position of being in the middle. You can't be in the middle forever as much as she wants to be. And we are watching that kind of unravel before our eyes. We are watching the demise of Switzerland. And why don't you take us through it? <laughs> Switzerland is crumbling. <laughs> okay. So Karen tells the women in Portugal that she's having a party to launch her wig line. Now let's clarify before Giselle and everyone else can be shady about it. This is more of a wig collab with an existing line. It is La Dame XRPG Show Wigs. I just want that to be clear in case you are looking up to buy one of those blonde wigs. That's where you can find them. So not an ad. <laughs> not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. I wish it was though. So, so okay. With that knowledge, let's work backwards. Ashley and Monique are at lunch. We see Monique again, who, whatever you think about her, it's nice to see a fresh face, especially when you haven't for so many episodes. Ashley and Monique are at lunch and Ashley calls Karen 
Basically to say, what's the deal? In Portugal, you said Monique is not invited to this party. Candace, enough so, and we're really convincing, enough so that Candace said, thank you, I really appreciate you not inviting her because you know that wouldn't be a good situation for me, it would make me uncomfortable, etc. Monique is like, no, I fully was invited, Karen's been asking me to come, we're going to arrange it in some certain way so that there's no crossing, but I'm more than invited, so much so that Karen is kind of convincing me to come and wants me to give my sort of side of the story. And Karen's like, no, no, I didn't say that. I just said I wasn't sure if Monique was coming, you know, backpedaling. So cut to the party. Monique comes early just to show her support. I think she really appreciates Karen just as a friend and how she's been helping, helpful and helping her through the situation. And she says, you know, it kind of hurts that you lied to the other girls and said that I wasn't invited. I get it. She didn't, it wasn't the hill she was going to die on, but she was saying, I, it hurt my feelings that that's kind of the position that you put our, me and our friendship in. Karen's like, it's a horrible position to be in. And Monique understands it's just to protect her event. It is a business thing. She comes early and she leaves. Fine. Potomac editors, in their amazing way, give us a fake out edit that Candace is texting, I'm on my way, I'll be there in a minute, pulling up, and Monique is waiting for her driver, and the door opens, dun dun dun, it's a party planner. We thought we were going to have a run-in, but we didn't. When Monique saw that it was Robin, Karen's publicist, I think she literally, it was as if, you know, I, I can't even explain to you the happiness that I think she probably internally felt. Oh, she like definitely peed her pants a little, but she didn't- Actually- let me say, it wasn't Monique. I take that back. It was the happiness Karen felt because Karen was shooing Monique out of there so fast to the point where Monique was right. Like, she could not have been less welcomed. She was really, like, in and out, up to, Let, let's do this. Yeah, like, oh, I didn't even, can I take a champagne to go? Yeah. And when Monique said, oh, I'm going to wait in here, like, you know, it's really cold. I want my driver to pull up. I thought Karen was going to combust and the door was, like, frosted so you couldn't see. Oh, my God. The whole thing was very stressful, but it was all okay. Two minutes after she leaves, the other women arrive. They're having a good old time, and Candace is still pissed at Ashley about the whole writing a letter on Monique's behalf. So that's that's the tension in the room. And then, you know, they're still, like, kind of confused about the Monique thing. And then they're talking about why, apparently, Karen had attended Monique's son Chase's first birthday party and got really drunk. And they were all kind of hard-pressed of, like, she would not take one sip of alcohol in Portugal, claiming that she had an ulcer, but here she is with Monique willing to get kind of wasted. And Karen's comeback for this whole situation was, you should be concerned what Juan says when he's drunk. And everything blows up. The women are literally in the middle of trying on wigs, and she storms out of her own party. Okay. I, I just... Okay, let's talk about that because then we'll talk about the aftermath. There's so much here. Hold on. I need to backtrack for purposes of my own sanity. Karen lost all of my respect this episode when she flat out lied to Ashley in front of Monique because you can't play both. Either in Portugal, don't say that Monique was invited. I get though if she wanted to kind of just not deal with it there. On the phone when Ashley calls, all Karen had to say was, you know what? I did say that there because I couldn't deal with getting into it, but she's coming. She's coming in the beginning. She's not going to be there when anyone's there. It was like she immediately lost all credibility. Exactly. That's 
that this is her issue. She lies when it's already too late. She could have made it right in Portugal when she said, I'm having this party, and Candace said, okay, is Monique coming or will she be invited? She could have said, you know what? I'm friends with both of you. I'm going to make an arrangement so that everybody is comfortable. You don't have to be in the same room. I promise I'll figure it out, or I'll celebrate with her before, or I'll celebrate with you after. Something like that. Candace still would have been appreciative. It would have acknowledged both of their positions while also giving them both the opportunity to support her. Whereas she may, she says one thing in front of the whole group and on camera, and then when Monique and Ashley are comparing stories, they full-on call Karen, and Karen has no choice but to make one of them a lie. Yeah, and can I give you the analogy that really came to my mind when I was watching Monique at the party? Please do. It was as if Monique was Karen's side chick, and Ray was coming in, and she had to get her out of there, and Monique was feeling really undervalued. That's literally what it was. It was like, we are having an affair, and nobody can know, and I need you to get out, and Monique was sensing that, number one. It was embarrassing. But two, we didn't even talk about this when they're there, and Candace you know, finds out based on Ashley's, you know, when Ashley says, listen, Monique was here earlier, and Candace basically says, Karen, you told me to come earlier. I just happened to be late. Like, were you trying to set us up? Right. And that's also when after Karen leaves her own party and they're debriefing outside, I think this was a moment that Ashley and I think Candace was okay with Ashley in this moment because Ashley was like, Candace, she is prioritizing giving Monique this opportunity with the group and letting her speak her truth and wanting her to be here and speak to us and us to forgive her over your mental well-being. Like she is willing to put anyone in that situation to protect Monique. Her sides are showing too much here. And Candace really had a moment of like, she was going to set me up and thought that, you know, we could make it right in the strip mall, in the hair place during your wig launch. There's no way. No, I I really like Monique. And this actually wasn't Monique's fault. This was 100% Karen's fault. I so understood where Candace was coming from. I would have felt like I just had the rug pulled from under me. I would have felt set up. I would have felt like I had zero trust for Karen. I mean, nothing, nothing speaks to this situation more clearly than Ashley and Candace actually getting along because they are both in such disapproval of Karen's actions. I mean, that is like, we don't see that a lot. We're talking like Danielle Staub and Margaret getting along for a moment. Like that's that just doesn't happen, you know? Exactly. That's how you knew that it was a really bad situation and how badly Karen had fucked up. Also, Candace is saying like, Karen is someone who I look up to, I love, and I respect. And the way that this has been handled has been bad enough. But I think tonight was a really big tipping point where, like we said, Karen has really, really tried to be in the middle. She hasn't done a great job. And tonight she honestly failed. And she went so far as to to almost make Candace really uncomfortable and put her in a really, really shitty situation. Yeah, because she acted as if her plan was foolproof. Like, it's not as if she said to Monique, you know, I really am uncomfortable with you being there with the girls, but why don't you come while I'm still setting up? As long as you're gone by 6 p.m., it'll be fine. No, she tricked both of them. Monique just happened to, you know, be coming early because of her charity event, but Karen never told her you need to be out at this particular time. So it, it, it was played terribly. It was actually really lacked class, which is weird because I think of Karen as such like a classy woman. It was just, uh, she was really putting herself first. It was a pretty selfish move. Um, but the other thing that I just, we have to go back to, her response to Robin when she said, well, you should worry about what Juan does when he's drunk. Like, Karen, 
you better stop it right now. Number one, do not throw stones in a glass house, first of all. And second of all, that was quite literally one of the most uncalled for things we've seen this season. Right. Especially because they're just kind of saying, was the reason she didn't drink around us because she didn't want to say something else that she regrets? Like when we were at Monique's lake house and she kind of started divulging all this information she alcohol gets to her and she her drunk thoughts kind of vomit out and her for her to bring robin into this what the fuck did robin do to you like what it just because it was like her immediate snap was to make robin feel insecure about juan and you know make it like she has some information that she knows that everyone else doesn't it was like not cool it was really not cool. It was very uncalled for. And I I really was embarrassed for Karen's behavior because I'm sure looking back, she will not be. You know, like she will be too. You know, like the thing was, it's not Robin's fault that you got a little drunk and aired your dissatisfaction with Ray to the group. It's not ideal, but it's not Robin's fault. It's not like Robin drugged you. So that's your issue if you feel upset about it. For me, I actually thought it was really vulnerable and I was kind of glad she did it. But if you're so upset at yourself, don't take that out on her. What the fuck did Juan ever do to you? Exactly. I just can't believe next week is the finale, which looks insane. And then we're going to get, I hope we get these conversations. We're going to get them. Can you believe it? Like we're the luckiest people in the world. No, that finale preview literally is like the only thing getting me through this week. Like I, oh my God, Michael and Chris and Juan, I was, I don't even know what was going through my veins. Me too. It's going to be absolutely epic. Okay, before we move to Southern Charm, because that's what we're ending with, you know that we're not going to do this episode and not talk about Karen in the bathtub. Oh my God. Okay, literally, just for one moment, put everything we just said about Karen on the back burner. This was the funniest fucking scene. Karen sets up this gorgeous spread. She lines the house with rose petals, absolutely beautiful, up the stairs, up into the bathroom. She puts her hair up. She gets naked. She pops champagne. She's lying in this bubble bath, all for Ray. She leaves him a note that says, follow the petals. He comes in. He is walking up the stairs. This is a 70-something-year-old man, okay? He is taking his time. Karen from the bathtub is quite literally screaming at him that he's not getting there fast enough. And I wanted to scream into the TV like, Karen, he could fall if you don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> She's like, yoo-hoo, Ray. I mean, talk about no atmosphere. <laughs> Get in the bathtub. I mean, the bathroom. The lights are on full blast because they're filming. There, she is sitting there, full hair and makeup, like trying to stick her toes out, like wiggling her toes. He's like, "Ooh, we used to play footsie." He is so confused what is going on. I don't know if she thought it seemed sexy, if she thought we were buying this whole vibe, but it was, it was gold. Between that and also the editor showing her wigs pre and post Steven, her hairstylist, I I had enough. I was I was fulfilled. Give these fucking editors an Emmy. I know we say it every time, but it's so true. Also. I can't even say it. I was going to say it again. Fuck it. I'm going to say it because probably someone else has this thought. I'm not embarrassed. I can't help it when she's talking about how, you know, and maybe one of these holes that was plugged is going to be unplugged. I was like, what does it look like with Karen, when Karen and Ray have sex? Like the thought, <laughs> the thought went through my mind. Please tell me somebody else. The what thought went through mean, their of mind. Of course it went through our mind. She's putting it there. She wants us to think that she 
ever since Wendy made that comment, like the initial dinner that they all had together, that she doesn't think Karen and Ray have sex and, you know, Karen is like old, dry, shriveled up, basically, Karen has worked overtime to make sure that we don't think that. Listen, this scene wasn't going to do it for me. However, I really applaud her trying. Karen Huger, if you are listening, if you by any you know chance decide to start an OnlyFans, I want you to know I will be the absolute first one to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to talk about Wendy and her mom quickly? Yeah, Wendy and her mom, and also really also quickly how sad I was when Jamal ditched his family photo shoot <gasps> with Giselle. How did we not talk about that yet? It's just, it's just like almost too sad. Let me say one thing about this, okay? Okay. Jamal is nothing if not consistent. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> he, he is consistently disappointing, consistently untruthful, and consistently really just hard to get on board with. This is what I want to say about this. I had this thought while watching. I'm so glad you brought it up. When he misses the photo shoot for whatever bullshit reason, and she doesn't seem to be as upset as one would expect her to be, and she's in her confessional, and the producer says to her, like, were you disappointed? Were you upset? You don't really seem it. And she basically said, yes, of course I was, but what do you want me to do? Lay on the floor and cry? Like, this is the reality of the situation and I got to get on with it. My takeaway from that was, on one hand, she's absolutely right in terms of there was no, they were already, their hair and makeup was done. They were doing it. She wasn't going to just sit there and cry the whole time because she wanted to get it done. I get that. That's her personality. However, that's not the question that the producer should have asked. The question the producer should have asked is, why do you let him off the hook time and time again? It's not about how visibly upset she got. She has every right to not be that visibly upset. She wanted to get through the shoot without ruining her makeup. And you know, you can't change things you can't change. It was why, after the fact, do you not deal with him in the way that every single other thing about your personality would show that you should be. Like Giselle never has a problem speaking out when she needs to speak out. She stands up for herself. She's such a fucking fox and I love her. And then when it comes to this asshole, she's under his spell and even her three daughters can't convince her to think this guy's a douchebag. I was going to say, you know your dad's kind of a real asshole when your own kids don't even want their mom to be with him. They, yeah. I think they're okay with him just being their dad and they might have a really nice relationship one-on-one. But when they see how he treats her and they love her so much that they don't want her her to get back with him, what could be more telling than that? And also, Giselle making the excuses about, oh, he missed his flight and timing, it didn't work out, he's so busy. You know that if this was anyone else's husband, Robin, Karen, someone she loves, someone she hates, she would be the first one to sit in her confessional or sit across the table and say, this is your man. If he wants to be back in your family, if he wants to show you that he loves you and he wants to win you guys over again, you know he'd be working, he should be working overtime to get there. I know that's what she would say. That's the advice she would give to anyone, and that's the shade she would throw, and that's the question she would ask. She isn't able to turn it on herself, and it's so frustrating. You are so right. It is so frustrating because in so many other elements of her life, she really has that ability to do so. And this is just such a blind spot. And like, it's so hypocritical. It's painfully hypocritical. Like the only reason that I feel okay with even pointing that out, because it's like, this is her fucking marriage. What does it matter to us? Giselle's entire like character on the show is just calling out other people's shit. So don't dish it if you can't take it. Yeah, she would never let, in any capacity, never let this slide with a woman, with a man, with someone else's relationship. No way. 
Yeah. She deserves the best of the best. And I get the father of your children. That's something really hard to walk away from. However, I just wish someone would hand her, like, she needs, like, what Cynthia Bailey has, a Mike Hill. Just a fucking good guy who, after being in a shitty relationship, sweeps you off your feet and treats you like a queen and respects you and shows up for you. I need that for her. Truly, we got to call Steve Harvey again. If he can do it once, he can do it again. You are so right. I mean, listen, he may have gotten Lori Harvey and uh, Michael B. Jordan together. Don't even go there. Talk about the hottest couple in the fucking... Oh, I can't. It's it's 12.44 a.m. I I don't know if I can deal with that right now. No, I cannot. Um, Okay, quickly, Wendy and Ashley, or do you not even want to get into it? Yeah, just Wendy and Ashley... Wendy with her mom at the pumpkin patch, just a really nice moment. I think she's been really anxious about talking to her mom about this, just given the way that their relationship is and how much pressure is put on Wendy. I was really happy with her mom's reaction, and it just made me happy. It was a really sweet moment. Well, it was it was a little rough for a second there, but they moved past it. Yeah. I'm glad it just ended well. Mm-hmm, me too. And hearing her say how proud she was was, I think, what Wendy really needed to hear. It's all Wendy needed to hear. Yeah. Ashley and Michael, oh God, where do we even fucking begin? I mean, he is sitting across the table from Ashley's mom and uncle. And, you know, what do you say in that situation? Like, I get that there's really nothing to say at all. Like, you already did the damage and your words carry no weight. But he just has a way of coming across as such a pompous asshole, even when he really doesn't mean to be, that you almost can't blame him. It almost feels like it's not his fault. This is just the best he knows. He's not even evolved enough to come right out and really give a real apology to them. I think he doesn't think that he deserves or needs to give them an apology or that they deserve the apology. Ashley has to kind of tee it up for him, like, as if he's a child and as if he's not in the wrong, which he fully is. He was so uncomfortable. I get it. It's uncomfortable. But you almost felt like he didn't really think he needed to be apologizing to them when he's already apologized to Ashley. And I get it. He didn't necessarily do it to them, but he really heard them. They love her. And he is the father of their grandson and, you know, nephew, whatever. Like it it just sucks. It just sucks. And he, he also talk about always disappointing. He, you would think he'd be good at apologizing at this point. He's really not. Well, that's what I'm saying. When you literally lack any sort of like empathy or compassion, you really can't fake it. Like I would say that he is a narcissist, which I believe that he is, but narcissists are typically better at convincing people of things. And he's just bad at it all. He's like a narcissist and also a terrible actor. Right. I think he, I think he's just had to act and apologize so many times he's burned out. He's just tired of putting on the act. Like he's tired of the apology and the sucking up and the, you know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be the good husband. He just seemed exhausted by it which you know you fucked up too many times when you're tired of having to go through this again, as if it's just the motions. What I wanted to say to him was, Michael, if you're tired, imagine how we feel. Imagine how Ashley feels. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break and let's come back with Southern Charm. Oh my God. Okay, so one thing about me, I'm going to get my food delivered. It kind of just falls under the general umbrella of convenience, which as we know is a core principle of my life. 
And I've been a DoorDash user for a while now, as I'm sure many of you are, but I specifically want to talk to you about DashPass because it's kind of really the way you get the most from delivery, which as a side note, if you use code CBC24, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. But let's zoom in for a second on what DashPass is. Basically, it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door. So it's helping you save money and time with every DoorDash order. And number one, $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. So it makes it really easy to save on groceries, retail items, restaurants, all of your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. And then this is the thing that really sold me. DashPass pays for itself on average in two orders. So it makes delivery even more worth it. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for only $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today only on DoorDash. Use code CBC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, term supply. Okay, in order to talk about Southern Charm effectively, I feel like we need to start out with Madison and Leva on Watch What Happens Tonight because... There are some watch what happens that are just very kind of surface level. And then there are some where we really get good information. And this to me was a good one. It was a great pairing. They both are not afraid to say anything. They played hilarious games. I was like having the best time. <laughs> Obviously same. Um, I kind of want to start out with just the entire Austin Madison conversation, because I have to be honest with you going into this, I did not think they were back together at all. And to be honest, I was really contemplating the idea of, Maybe she was with John Pringle. I didn't think that was off the table. Did you? No, I didn't think it was off the table, but I was cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Basically, one of the games that Andy played with her was Who Makes You Tingle, Austin or Pringle? (laughs) Genius, by the way. And they just listed a lot of different things. For example, you know, body and uh, I don't even know. Uh, maturity, right? Yeah, it was like physical things, but also emotional things. Who would you want to be stuck with? Who's more financially sound? Just like kind of, I don't know, like things like that. And she pretty much said Austin for most of them, with the exception of, I think, saying that Pringle had a better body, but, which by the way is like a fucked up game. Um, But she, at the end, he asked the question, who would win in a fight? And she said Pringle would win in a physical fight, but in terms of favor, Austin, meaning like that's where my heart is. And she kept kind of making these comments that made it seem like definitely she's not with Pringle, but also she's like back with Austin. And going off of last week with the beer drama, Andy asks her the question and says like, what did you think about that entire beer interaction last week? Because as you remember, she and Patricia both posted the Budweiser PR package they got. Austin made a story that said, Interesting to see people who claim to love and support me do anything for money. This just strengthened my resolve. King's Calling is coming for kings of beer. And she basically said, you know, I kind of expected him to do that. He was pissed. She was like, I called him out when I um, posted the proof that he said I could do it. She was like, but then he took it down. So to me, last week when we were talking about this, I was like, oh yeah, they're definitely not together. And now I'm like, they were together and he still posted that. Like what kind of childish bullshit is this? I know, but also it doesn't surprise me at all. This seems like the kind of bullshit fights that they have every single week on the show. Why why should that surprise us? I guess when we're looking at it on its own, it was so like aggressive seeming on social media. But when you really think about it, it's so on brand for them. And 
you're right. When Madison was answering all of those questions, you know, she'd be like, oh, Austin's going to kill me. Or like, just, you're right, seeming like they were in a relationship or she still really cared what he thought. I think if they weren't together, she would be so happy to answer Pringle about things, no matter how she feels about Pringle. I genuinely don't think she's into Pringle at all. I just don't. However, if she could use this opportunity to kind of piss Austin off, which is their game, she totally would have. Yeah, she totally would have, but she didn't want to. I mean, even they played this game like charming or alarming. And one of the questions was expressing interest in your friend's girlfriend. And she said alarming. Like, I don't think, yes, it was flattering, but I don't think in terms of like actually evaluating him as a partner that that boded well with her. No, I think, I think she's kind of like creeped out, freaked out by the whole thing. I also want to say something else about Madison. I really like her. Like I genuinely do. I think she has her shit together. I think she's a great mom. I think she's a strong, independent woman. However, I pick up little like hints of like kind of slut shaming from her that I don't really like. And I don't know if she just has a major sensitivity to it or what it is. But when they were asking about Craig's girlfriend, Natalie, saying, you know, would you think it's going to last? And Leva said yes. And Madison was quick to say no. And when Andy asked her why, she basically said, I mean, listen, she slept with Austin last year. So like, I I get that it maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable, but how is that a disqualifying factor? Like you guys all hang out with the same people. There's going to be some crossover. It doesn't make her this slut. It doesn't mean her like she's passed around. Like there's this element of condescending nature with Madison when it comes to other women. And I don't necessarily like it. Like what? You're some virgin? Yeah. Also, she is really upset, rightfully so, when Shep has another guy that she's hooked up with at his party and she's like embarrassed about it. So you guys are all the same at the end of the day. I get it. They're two best friends who happen to hook up with a lot of the same girls. Is that the best thing? Is that what you really want? Not necessarily. However, don't put it on the girl. That's their own fault. Like, Also, they're best friends. A lot of times, if you're best friends, you might have the same taste in girls. That's allowed to happen. For her to put that on the girl and for her to say that she doesn't think they're endgame because Austin hooked up with her last summer, you're right. It's so unfair. By the way, Craig was literally going live, sitting with the girlfriend on the couch right before Watch What Happens Live came on, like during the last scene of Southern Charm. So I was just picturing them sitting there together. Clearly, they've been together for months now since the start of quarantine. Watching that, it must really be a shitty feeling and not something that she wants everyone to be reminded of. By the way, also, how many times do you see people at weddings who have, like, the bride has hooked up with one of the groomsmen in the past? It just, like, it happens, especially in this group. We talk about it every single week. All the time. And also, the other thing about it was, that's not either of us saying that Natalie and Craig are endgame. I know nothing about this girl. But the reason that they're not can't be because she slept with Austin because that's just your own insecurity and your own jealousy. And Madison, I really like you, but that's not fair. Don't exactly. use that as a reason. Exactly. One fun fact I just want to say about Natalie Craig's girlfriend. Like I said, I think they're still together. I mean, they were alive tonight. They look happy as can be. She's really cute from what we've seen. She actually appeared on season one of Love Connection, the show that Andy Cohen hosted where they were like trying to set people up. I don't know in what capacity. I just thought that was an amazing fun fact. Amazing fun fact. I love when that happens, don't you? Same. Um, also, you guys, there was a virtual audience member. Her name was Hadley. Hadley, if you are listening to this, you were doing God's work. Hadley, we've talked about you more tonight than literally anything. Yeah. And basically, she asked Madison the question that you and I have been speaking about for weeks now, which is, 
do you ever feel like Patricia is a little bit out of line because I understand she has an opinion, but she comes at Austin kind of so aggressively. And Madison really defended Patricia Hart. She said, absolutely not. I love everything she has to say. It's like getting advice from my mom. She's known me for almost 12 years. And I knew she was going to answer that, but I just needed someone to ask her that question because that's how we felt. Like at a certain level, isn't the utmost respect you can give someone like respecting their partner that they choose, even if you don't fully agree with it, as long as they're not abusive? Yeah. See, my thing is with that relationship, Patricia could give her opinion all she wants. Of course, you would want anyone who is in that motherly position to say how they really feel to you. It's when she goes the extra step to actually meddle and like take action to say to Pringle, I want to set you up and get involved. I guess it doesn't directly affect her, but that's what the issue is. It's not about Patricia giving her opinion and kind of helping Madison to guide her. It's when she really gets involved because she, in a way, is friends with all of these people. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's a little, listen, Madison is never going to say a bad word about Patricia. We know that. No. I mean, who? how could you? Did you see her quarantine? That was like the best part of the episode. Patricia, Michael, and Whitney quarantining together. Michael coloring Patricia's hair. It just doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. Is there anything else from the Watch What Happens segment you want to talk about until we, before we move into the episode? No, I just thought it was interesting to hear Leva talk about her friendship with Cam, how they are really close, but they kind of separate the show, which might must make for a really crazy dynamic when Cam was like an OG of the show, knows so much about it. Now Leva is on it, but they keep that separate. I think Cam is just so done with it. And also that once Leva shut down the rumors with Catherine, they never came up again, which to me is just a clear indicator that there was 0.0% truth to them because usually where there's smoke, there's fire. If they really, if Jason really was cheating on Cam, it would have come out a different direction, but it was just coming from Catherine completely made up and never to be heard of again. Oh, exactly. It was a manipulative attempt to kind of shift the storyline and the focus and it wasn't going to work. Also, we stand Leva in this house. Leva is a queen. She is so cool, so smart, great mom, great wife, great friend, great businesswoman, so just an all-around awesome, awesome, awesome person. And I'm so glad she's on the cast because I think without Cam, we're really missing that that kind of guiding, narrator, level-headed person and she is the exact they're best friends for a reason she fits the mold and she carries it really well right it's like if patricia is the grandmother figure then cam then leva is the mother figure in a way exactly episode wise let's start out with madison and austin because it kind of is a continuation of watch what happens live and also like i just don't get sick of talking about it (laughs) Uh, Everything that we have ever said about their relationship to me was so evident today in the sense of like, Austin is a sweet guy. I don't think that that's necessarily something that people are arguing about. Like, he's a good person, but it is as if she is a full grown adult babysitting a child when I look at their relationship. And I can't help but feel that way. I don't want to feel that way, but I just do. Here she is going out to plan this birthday party for him. And here he is with not a care in the world getting COVID again. I feel like getting COVID now has turned into this shameful thing, which it shouldn't be. Like you can get it from being at the grocery store. You can get it anytime. It's not your fault when you get it. However, when he has been so reckless, knowing that he was seeing her, knowing that he was seeing her son, she saw red and he is just so 
incapable of like fully taking responsibility. And part of that is just the nature of COVID. Like Kevin Hart spoke about this in his standup where the second you find out someone has it, it's like, no, it was fucking you. No, it wasn't. It was fucking you. You know what I mean? Like there was that element of just defensiveness, but at the core of it, it's just that Austin is just a younger person. Like he just has a younger mindset. He's a little bit more juvenile. And if he would have come at that from a more like evolved adult perspective, it would have been handled so much more gracefully. Well, I think she recognizes how reckless he was being, which is so in in line with how he behaves all of the time, prioritizing going out, partying, being with his friends, getting drunk over caring about what's really going on enough where she really was caring. She wasn't leaving the house. That's really, really frustrating. I feel like if there's a sliding scale. Austin is just on the end of a nice guy that you want to bring to your frat or sorority formal, not someone that you want to be the stepfather of your child. He just can't get out of that kind of young college frat boy mentality and his actions just speak louder than words. He can't get out of his own way. And and nothing was more telling, by the way, than when he was sitting down with his family and he literally had to say to the sister, like, whose side are you on? Because even them can realize this is just not right. And at the end of the day, it's not serving you because it's making you feel continually bad about yourself. Like there's something to be said for quote dating up in terms of like wanting to be with someone that motivates you and that you really value their life choices. I totally believe in that. However, when it gets to the point where you just feel constantly bad about yourself, that's when it's like not positive anymore. And that's what's happening there. And I thought also Madison's interaction with her mom and her sister was telling because they weren't bashing Austin. Her mom just said like, I don't think he's necessarily the one for you right now. Like you have your things going on. He's a sweet guy, but he's not really cutting it. it yeah. It was funny. Both of their families had the same kind of sentiment. Like you guys may love each other and you know, he's a great guy. She's a great girl. However, are you really compatible? You have to look at it and the fights you get in and how toxic things get and how heated things get and how you're so hot and cold. Is this the right thing for you? Sometimes you just have to kind of examine it from that angle. And if everyone is telling you this, maybe you should take a deeper look. Yeah, exactly. And he's just, you know, taking a deeper look requires a level of self-reflection that I don't think he was capable of at the moment. No, definitely not. You want to move on to Catherine or is there anything else from the episode that you want to touch on? No, let's get into this. Okay. So this entire Catherine plotline starts out with Leva and Danny on the phone. And basically, Leva's filling Danny in, which just as a side note, like while Danny is receiving this information, she's upset with her Catherine's actions, but she's simultaneously, I think, upset with the fact that Catherine has not reached out to her, confided in her when she's been there for her so much. Like I think it was a little bit of an ego bruise before I even say what actually happened, don't you think? Yeah, I think Danny consistently has this problem with Catherine not showing up, not being responsive, and Danny is more attentive and really responsible and gets so upset when she thinks she does is 100% there as a friend and Catherine sometimes just forgets that Danny even exists. Yeah, and she's kind of sick of being the doormat. Of course. So in terms of what actually happened, I know you guys all know this by now, but basically one of Catherine's friends was hosting this or organizing this Trump rally and this black radio host, this woman, Tamika Gadsden, kind of exposed her on social media. 
Catherine took issue to that. As Catherine says in her confessional, she's, quote, not a political person, but she just didn't like the way that this woman in her eyes was coming at her friend. And they started to get into this argument. And in her argument with this black woman, she used the monkey emoji, which everybody knows is just an absolute no. It is one of the most like racially charged racist things that you can possibly do. And she really received a lot of backlash for this. The whole thing was... I don't even know. So disgusting and disappointing. I remember watching it happen in real time. And I mean, you just can't, it doesn't get worse than that. There's messages. You guys can read them online. There's like dozens of messages and she got really pissed off. She claims that the monkey emoji was just trying to like mimic her action. Like a oop. There's no right way, obviously, to look at this. Either she's so oblivious and uneducated that she didn't realize that how hurtful and terrible that symbol is or she knew exactly what she was doing so it's it's uh, it's terrible either way and then what we get into more is her family's history and her ancestors how she has almost an innate racial kind of tie to her family's ancestors yeah john c calhoun who was the seventh vice president in you know the 1800s He is one of her ancestors, and he also kind of was a big force to keep slavery alive. It was kind of like his dying wish. And they have this giant monument of him that Leva and a bunch of other people were going to this organized gathering to kind of take the statue down. Of course, Catherine was nowhere to be found. Of course, she had nothing to say about it. But like, this was very timely because this was, you know, we all witnessed this happening. We all witnessed the finally America kind of waking up and trust me, there's so much more work to be done, but saying like these Confederate flags, these Confederate monuments and statues, we're not trying to erase history. We're not trying to say that it didn't happen. However, as a black person, when you are walking through the streets and you are seeing these seemingly heroes celebrated, because what else do you put on a monument of people that were huge factors in slavery and sold your ancestors? Like one, how triggering is that? And two, That is not an experience that any human being should have to deal with every single day. And somehow we finally come to the conclusion that it's not okay, which they have never should have gone up in the first place. And so I was really glad that Bravo showed this because it was very timely. It's exactly what was going on. And, you know, I think some people thought that they were kind of using Catherine as like the scapegoat, but she brought this on herself. Like it wasn't as, as some of the women said when they were at that lunch, it's not Catherine's fault that this guy is her ancestor. You can't control your lineage. Like no one's being crazy. It's the fact that you have a real opportunity in 2020 to come out and say, I condemn that. And I want to do everything in my power 200 years later to really say that is not right. And I'm going to not stand for that. I'm like, I'm going to be on the right side of history. And she just neglected in doing so. And it came across as really wrong. I mean, it it was just racist. I don't know what else to say. It was so racist. And I'm glad that Leva and inviting Danny and them using this as an opportunity to create a larger conversation and also highlight some of the people speaking at this conference. They used they used Catherine's wrongdoings as a space to talk about this, which I think was great and really great for them to show. And also at this lunch after, so Leva has like a kind of group of girls that aren't cast members except for Danny that they go to the meeting and then they go to lunch after at one of her restaurants. And the conversation there is how can you have such a kind of famous in not a good way ancestor with a 
monument in the middle of our town that you don't know about and you never speak about and you, in a way, maybe are a little bit proud of and how you are not educated enough. And Danny's like, if that was my ancestor, I would know everything about it and I would use my voice to like say how I feel about it. It was just like, I think they all had such an eye-opening moment of just how Catherine views the world and how she doesn't take responsibility. You're right. It's not her fault who she's related to. However, she is now an adult and in this time, you have to kind of educate yourself and be proactive. And the woman there who works for Gwen's, which is where Catherine has been working and been the face of, said we had no choice but to let her go because that's not what we stand for. She also said, you know, why is everybody so focused on the emoji? She said that Catherine also said, quote, stop trying to use your minority claim. You're what's wrong with Charleston to the black woman she was speaking to, which wasn't, you know, posted, but that's what Gwen said. I just, I mean, you guys know how we feel about this. It was very important that Bravo showed this. And it was also very important that they showed the conversation between Leva and all of her friends because, I mean, you were witnessing, talk about the other end of the spectrum in Danny, you were witnessing a white woman go through some like serious, serious um, understanding in that one lunch. She had no idea the amount of things she was oblivious to, and she was open about that. Yeah. And I really do think that she got a lot out of that, which as I always say, it is not the job of black people to educate. However, you know, those women happened to be having the conversation and she was there for it. Um, but I will say on Watch What Happens Tonight, Leva said that she does think Catherine has a much better understanding now. I hope so. I mean, I think it's the least you can do when you go through something like this. And I hope she's used this as a learning experience. I agree. Um, Anything else you want to mention, Southern Charm? No. It was just a wild ride of an episode. Educational, relationships. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's really crazy. I'm, I'm very interested to see what else happens. And also the aftermath of Catherine dealing with this and if people how they hold her accountable in person yeah i i i completely agree with you i just have such a it's hard i just have such a bad taste in my mouth for her oh me too completely anyway okay anything else in the general world of bravo wow two hours later man One fifteen in the morning two hours and nine minutes i'm sure we're gonna cut it down but goddamn that was good that was good do you think we did a good job? I feel like that was very fun. I hope so. I, you know, we put a lot of work into this one. I hope it came across well. But I'm sorry we ended on such like a want want note, but it was I a know. good week has- otherwise. Yeah, and it has to be discussed. It's important. It um, is important. Uh, well, we love you guys. Oh, actually, I wanted to say this to you. I didn't tell you ahead of time because I kind of wanted to put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, God, what? Um, so on the regular podcast, I try like once every other week, I like ask people if you like it, like, would you feel free to leave a review if you feel so kind? And I feel so annoying and you've never done it yet. And I so badly, cause I feel like we don't really do it on Bravo. So I feel like people will listen to you if you ask. Okay, guys, let's level here. <laughs> I feel like this is like, you know, we're like a cool, like small group. It's not so intimidating. We love you all. We get really nitty gritty. We get really personal about all of these emotions. Just leave us a nice review, a little five star. You don't have to write your real name. We won't out you. Say you like our podcast. Say you like it for Housewives. Say you like it for Bravo. We would so appreciate it. We read all of them. We love your feedback in the DMs. If you could just put it on Apple, that would just make our day. And yeah, it just really helps us. You guys don't even know how much it helps us. Isabel, 
you're fucking hired. That was beautiful. Also, <laughs> secretly, secretly, it's because I'm still dying for that girl that wrote um, review Bravo episodes before they aired to take her fucking review down because no, we didn't. Bravo dropped the third episode. It's not our fault. It's it like not our thing. fault. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. I don't know if we didn't make it clear enough, but we we didn't have the screener. <laughs> no, but it's like it's really been bothering Emma. Like I really think she is losing sleep at night over it. So if you want to just if you guys write enough reviews, it'll bury that one and we'll be able to be at peace. Because it's the worst reputation to have who shares screeners before. That's like the number one no in this business. You just don't do it, you we know? We don't even have that screener. Yeah, we don't even have we don't even have any screeners for Bravo right now. No, I can't. Yeah. So oh guys, you will do us a huge favor if you bury that one comment. I'll I'll read it to you next week if you get an, if we get enough good ones. <laughs> I'm dying. Um, okay, we love you guys so much. Obviously, you don't have to leave a review if you don't want to. Just listening is the biggest gift, but I figured we could do one push. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to leave a review, just listen. Send us a DM. Tell me your thoughts. If you see a comment, send it my way. We can talk about it, and that's all. Yes, and tell your friends. Um, I also want to say for everybody that was posting our podcast, like the Spotify wrapped and tagging us, it was crazy to see. Um very wild very um i can't believe that so many people take so much time out of their week to listen to us it's still very overwhelming to even think about but we're just so appreciative and what a fucking week to be a bravo fan we love you guys to pieces julie and i will see you on monday for the regular episode and isabel i love you so much love you love you guys So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.